you guys have your Bibles with you today, um, I'd like for you to open up to the book of John. It's one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to turn to chapter 10, and we are going to read one of my very favorite verses, um, which is verse 10 of chapter 10. And we just celebrated Jesus' birth um, just a few days ago. Hopefully everyone had a great Christmas. I know that um, we had a great Christmas at the Snap household, and um, Luke and Avery were super excited, and uh, we had some family in town, and it was just a good time, and uh, we enjoyed um, celebrating together. But when we think about Jesus' birth, I think that this verse that we are about to read really sums up the whole reason that Christ came to this world in the first place. And it reads like this out of my translation, New Century Version. It says, a thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came to give life, life in all its fullness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. I thank you so much for the opportunity to share the message of your gospel with the people that are gathered here. Lord, I ask over the next few minutes, Lord, if you would open our hearts and open our minds together, Lord, and that somehow through my incoherent ramblings and feeble attempt at doing your message justice, Lord, that you would help me to speak with clarity, that you would help me to speak both effectively and efficiently, and that you would use this message to penetrate the hearts of those that are gathered here today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. This past Tuesday, Sarah and I were, um, as many of you probably were, out and about doing some last-minute Christmas shopping, putting the finishing touches on everything that we needed to make Thursday so very special. And um, it was a day a lot like today. It was kind of cold, and it was rainy, and, and really yucky out, and we were traveling, and Traffic was a little bit heavy because of the weather already and then the time of year with everybody hustling and bustling and, and we kind of got hung up in some traffic and then I noticed that, that traffic had, had kind of gotten stopped even more, like we weren't advancing and I saw some blue lights up ahead of us and I realized that there was a funeral procession going on. Big long line of cars with their flashers on and you know, that's terrible any time of year but especially, you know, around a major holiday like, um, like we just had. And so I began to just kind of watch this funeral procession take place. And we weren't too far from the cemetery at this point. And so as we're kind of creeping up, I'm watching this long line of cars just turn in one by one by one to go to the place where this loved one of theirs was going to be laid to rest for eternity as we got closer to the cemetery, I saw folks begin to get out of their cars and make their way up to the temporary um, canopy that had been erected by the funeral home so that they could have the grave, graveside service. And this may be a little bit weird, but this is kind of how I think and, and kind of what goes through my head. You know, in my line of work, um, we often uh, get to go to um, a, a number of funerals and, and um, help families to deal with the loss of a loved one and, and to, to celebrate the homegoing of, of people that have passed on. And, and so when, whenever I'm at a funeral, um, I, I just, I think about, you know, the person that's passed on. And that 
thought about this person and I, I began to wonder, you know, who, who was this person? These people that are going to, to mourn this person or to celebrate their home going, like, what are they thinking about this person? What are, what are, what, what's the legacy that's been left behind here? Then my mind began to wonder and I thought, you know, I, chances are I didn't know this person, but I wonder if once upon a time we may be passed in the aisle of a grocery store somewhere. Could this person have been behind me at the bank one day? Or, or maybe we sat in traffic together during rush hour on our way to work. I began to think about the minister that day and as he stood up to try to give one last sentiment of hope and of comfort to the family and the friends that had gathered there on that cold, rainy day, what was he going to say about that person? And Actually, when I go to funerals, I've, I've kind of turned it into kind of a little, a little game that I play. And I know that it's kind of might sound creepy and morbid, but, but um, when I'm in the cemetery, I'll look around at all of the tombstones that are, that are scattered across the landscape. And, and I'll do things like I'll look for people that have my last name. I don't know, some of you maybe do that. You know, because that's interesting. You want to see, like, is there anybody here that maybe could be part of your family that you didn't know about? You're trying to learn something about yourself or... I'll look for people who, who um, had the same birth date as me, all right? Um, it'd be really weird if I looked for people that had the same death date as me. I don't think that that really would kind of work. But I'll try to find some people that maybe they were born on the same day or in the same month as me. Or what I really like to do is I try to find like the really old tombstones and I try to um, look at some of the historical value and, and find people that, that were both born and died before I ever came into the world, it's just interesting to me, but that always jogs my memory. And I, I, I read the epitaphs, the things that are inscribed on the tombstones, because I like to see what other people say about their loved ones. It gives us a small glimpse into the lives of those people. And I just wonder about those people that are there that I've never met. I don't know, but who were these people? What did they do for a living as they walked this earth? What kind of impact did, did they make on the people around them? And their loved ones, what are those people saying about these people after they're gone? And I wonder, what are people going to say about me after I'm gone? Did you ever think about that? Like when your days on this earth are done and people gather to celebrate your home going, they gather to honor you, what are they going to say about you? You know, it's funny sometimes some of the epitaphs that you read find some pretty interesting things about some people. You know, the normal ones say, you know, like devoted husband, loving father. You know, but there's some really kind of interesting ones that I've come across, um, like this one that was on the tombstone of a dentist named John Brown. It said, John Brown is filling his last cavity. <laughs> this one that has my name's sake, it says, uh, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. This one is in Virginia. Some poor woman had just said, she always said her feet were killing her. I guess we should have believed her. Johnny Yeast laid to rest in New Mexico. His tombstone reads, here lies Johnny Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. Tombstone in England. Really powerful words. It says, remember man as you walk by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so shall you be. 
remember this and follow me. Someone like me walking through the graveyard, looking at the tombstones, having a very clever mind, took a marker and wrote below it on this tombstone, said, to follow you, I'll not consent until I know which way you went. And this is my favorite one of all. This is legit. It's here on a tombstone in the state of Georgia. Georgia does it upright. The tombstone just reads, I told you I was sick! As John Foreman, the front man of Switchfoot, once asked, this is your life. Are you who you want to be? In other words, at the end of your life, when folks gather around to honor you, what will they say? How will you be remembered? For honest, there's probably a number of us here today that are afraid of what people might say about us after we're dead and gone. Maybe you're not too happy with the legacy that you're currently leaving behind. But the good news is, is that as we enter into 2015 and we lay 2014 to rest, you and I have a chance to wipe the slate clean begin living life as it should be lived. So for the next few minutes, I'd like to talk to you about four things that I believe we need to do more of in order to live the kind of life that Christ talked about in our verse for today. Life in all of its fullness. If you're taking notes or just to help you follow along, I'm gonna be spelling out the word life, L-I-F-E. Those are gonna be my points for this morning. And so the first thing that we need to do to live life as it should be lived is we need to love more. We need to love more. In 1967, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, as they often did, they penned a song which would become one of the Beatles' many number one hits. It was entitled, All You Need Is Love. And in an interview with Brian Epstein, the longtime manager of the Beatles, the song, they asked him about why the song was written, and he said that the song was composed when the Beatles were asked to come up with a song that had a message that could be understood by everyone. Epstein says, it was an inspired song and they really wanted to give the world a message. The nice thing about it is that it cannot be misinterpreted. It is a clear message saying that love is everything. But it wasn't the Fab Four that came up with that concept originally. In fact, roughly 2,000 years prior to that, the message was proclaimed by Jesus himself as he replied to the questionings of some Pharisees trying to trick him. Here's the account from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. It says, When the Pharisees learned that the Sadducees could not argue with Jesus' answers to them, the Pharisees met together. And one Pharisee, who was an expert on the law of Moses, asked Jesus this question to test him. He said, teacher, which command in the law is the most important? And Jesus answered this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and most important command. And the second command is like the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the writings of the prophets depend on these two commands. Jesus was literally saying, all we need is love. That, at the end of the day, everything else depends on whether or not we love God and love our neighbor. So how do we love God? Well, it's pretty simple, actually. Jesus tells us in John 14, he says, If you love me, you will obey my commands. 
And I think that we pretty much get that. Like most of us gathered here today, most of us who attend church regularly, who claim to be Christians, you know, we get that nailed down. Like we've got the love God part. We know that we're supposed to do that and we try to do that and we spend time reading God's word. We spend time going to church. We spend time gathering together with other believers. We attend our life groups. Um, we pray, you know, we do all of those things with the hopes of that we're, we're stressing the fact that we love God. But it's the second part that, we don't always get right. The second part that makes us a little uncomfortable when we, when we talk about the fact that we're supposed to love our neighbor. I mean, to me, that's the really difficult part because it's easy to love a God that gave his life to die in our place. But what about those people that they just get on your nerves? They're just under your skin. What about those people? How can we love them? You know, recently, Sarah and I, we bought a house, and um, we had lived in the house for just a few days. And um, we were outside in the driveway playing with the kids. Luke was bouncing a basketball, and Avery was riding in circles around on her Razor scooter. And our next-door neighbor had come over to introduce herself to us. And um, it was during that conversation, we made a little small talk and everything, and then out of the blue, she kind of said something like this. I'm paraphrasing, but it kind of went like this. Well, the cul-de-sac was pretty quiet because there wasn't anybody that lived here with, that had small children. And my two kids are like making all kinds of noise in the driveway. And I said, I just looked at her and smiled, and I said, well, it was quiet but it's probably not going to be anymore. So I'm very sorry about that. And um, her son lives with her, and he has this really, really nice pickup truck. And I mean, you can tell that, like, this is where all of his extra money goes. Um, like, I mean, it's, it's his baby, and it's souped up, and it's jacked up. And, and when, when, he, when he cranks it up, like, it rattles the windows of the house and everything. I mean, it's, like, it's pretty, pretty spectacular. And she said, what I'm most worried about is one of your kids hitting my son's truck with the basketball because your basketball goes pretty close to my driveway. And I was assuring her, I, I really don't think that's going to happen. You know, my kids are really careful and everything. And it was right about that time that Luke took the basketball and he chucked it really hard across the driveway and hit his sister in the head. <laughs> and she fell off of her scooter and started screaming and crying. Needless to say, our neighbor, she kind of left in a huff, you know, kind of disgusted and, you know, like, what do you do? What do you do? But I'll be honest, that just made me mad. The audacity of her to speak to me, especially on our first impression about my kids and the fact that she was worried about some truck. I mean, like, come on, really? And that just made me mad. So I've prayed and I, I asked God, I was like, you got you to help me show this lady some love. You know, help me show this family some love. I, I want to love them. I don't, want to, I don't want to hold this grudge. I don't want to be upset with them. And so what I do every Wednesday on Trash Day, this may sound really dumb, but this is what I've been doing. This is, this is a place for me to start. Every Wednesday on Trash Day, I bring their trash can from the road back to their house. After they put it out, it gets emptied. I pick their trash can up and I roll it back and I put it in its spot and I pray for them. Just that couple minutes, just pray over that family. Just pray that the Lord would bless them And I don't know if they know how their trash can gets back to their house or not. They've never said anything to me about it. I think they may think that like their trash can is magic or something. 
because they're always gone and I roll it back and then they get home. I wonder, what do they think about that? Like, maybe it's just an assumption. I don't know. It's really not about me, but like, that's just something that I've done in order to show the love of Christ to these people. Because I want them to know what Jesus said in John 13. He says, I give you a new command, love each other. You must love each other as I have loved you. All people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. And I'm just hoping that someday me bringing that lady's trash can back to her house will give me the opportunity to tell her about Jesus and that she, through that action, will see the love of Christ shining in and through me. So who would you classify as unlovable in your life? What are some things that you could do to go out of your way to show them the love of Christ? You know, maybe it's not rolling up their trash can, but surely there's something that you could do. Because if we're going to live life as it should be, we've got to love more. The second thing we've got to do is to live life as it should be, we've got to invest more. When we hear the word invest, we automatically think of our treasure, our money. But we can also make an investment with our time and our talent. Maybe you've heard somebody say this of their church. I'm thinking of finding another place to attend. I'm just not getting fed there. Anybody ever heard anybody talk about that? You know, I hear people say that all the time. Anytime I hear someone saying that of their church, one of the first things that I ask them is, what are you doing to invest in the life of your church? More often than not, I find out that they aren't investing in any way at all. Time, talent, or treasure. And as a pastor, I'll be honest, it angers me. It really makes me upset when I find that out. Because when you think about it, that would be like a farmer getting upset at his fields for not producing a crop when he had never planted a seed in the first place. It's absolute foolishness to expect a harvest when we haven't first sown a seed. It would be crazy for us to go to the bank and demand the teller to give us the the interest on an account that we were owed when we hadn't even opened up an account to start with. But we do it all the time. We expect to be fed spiritually at church, but all we do is sit in the pew and take take up space. We wonder why our relationships with our kids are messed up, but we never can find the time to spend with them. There's always something else more important. We can't figure out why our marriage is broken and on the verge of divorce, but we've long since stopped communicating with our spouse. See, maybe the problem isn't our church. Maybe the problem isn't our kids. Maybe the problem isn't our spouse. Maybe the problem is us because we're expecting to get returns on investments that we haven't ever made. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. He says, give and you will receive. You will be given much. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. So if you're looking to get something in return, why not try to give something in the first place? So think about it. In what areas of your life do you need to enhance your investment portfolio? In what area of your life are you expecting a harvest where you haven't planted a seed? That's the area that you need to focus on in this coming year to make a deeper investment so that you can get the return that you're expecting. 
So we need to love more. We need to invest more. Buckle your seatbelts because I'm about to say the F word right here in church. I mean, this is like the F word of all F words and it makes Christians uncomfortable across the board. You need to forgive more. Some of you are already composing that email in your mind. Dear Pastor Mark, you've got to forgive more. And I know that that's an uncomfortable word for us to talk about. We don't like to talk about forgiveness in church except the fact that Jesus has forgiven us. I'll put it to you this way. Once there was a married couple that had a lot of disagreements and they argued often. Yet somehow during their arguments, the wife always managed to stay calm and collected. And one day the husband commented on his wife's restraint. He said, when I get mad at you, you never fight back. How can you possibly control your anger? She told him, she said, it's simple. I work it off by cleaning the toilet. Husband got a really confused look on his face. He wasn't quite sure what his wife was talking about. And he said, how in the world could that possibly help? And she said, it's easy. I use your toothbrush. (laughs) Maybe you've heard the age old adage, don't get mad, get even. And many times when we're wronged by someone else, that's our natural response, revenge. I'd even dare to venture that as I'm saying these words, some of you are thinking of at least one person that you just love to see get what's coming to them. Am I right? You can think of that person, man, if it would just happen to them. Some of you may even have a checklist, like, you know, you like roll it out. And it... As a Kentucky fan, for me, that person is Christian Leitner. In 1992, 22, going on 23 years ago, 3.2 seconds left. The ball was passed in full court. He faked this way. He turned around and hit the shot at the buzzer to send Duke. Can't even believe I spoke that name in such a holy place as this. To the final four. And for 22 years, every college basketball game that has ever been played now replays that snippet replays that snip and I know what you guys are thinking some of you Alabama fans are thinking yeah it's like Chris Davis and the pick six or the kick six yeah come talk to me in 22 years okay you haven't seen that thing enough yet every game every tournament every march over and over and over and I'll be honest like we have shirts Kentucky fans have shirts that say I still hate Leitner you go to a game you see him everywhere and that's really how I feel sometimes it's tough to forgive. But here's some quotes concerning unforgiveness that have really helped me to put things in perspective. Stephen Furtick said, unforgiveness is like eating rat poison and expecting the other person to die. T.D. Jake said, unforgiveness empowers our history at the expense of our destiny. Someone said, unforgiveness is choosing to stay trapped in a jail cell of bitterness, serving time for someone else's crime. It was said about forgiveness that to forgive is to set a prisoner free and then discover that the prisoner was you. C.S. Lewis wrote, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. In Matthew 6, 
Verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, Yes, if you forgive others for their sins, your Father in heaven will also forgive you for your sins. But if you don't forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. So we expect him to forgive us, but yet we're unwilling to forgive other people. We've got to get that figured out. We've got to begin to forgive more if we want to live life as it should be. So we've got to love more. We've got to invest more. We've got to forgive more. And then finally, we've got to enjoy more. To live life as it should be, we've got to enjoy more. Someone once said, life is like an ice cream cone. You better enjoy it before it melts. Ecclesiastes 5.18, King Solomon writes, I've seen what is best for people here on earth. They should eat and drink and enjoy their work because the life God has given them on earth is short. And I know what you may be thinking. How can I possibly enjoy my life? Pastor Blake, you don't know anything there is to know about me enjoying my life. I mean, I've lost my job. My marriage is on the brink of divorce. I've got all these health issues and the medical bills are stacking up. My car's broken down. I just lost a loved one. I can't figure out how to make ends meet and on and on and on and on. And we make all these excuses. And you know what? You're right. I don't understand what it's like to be you. I don't understand some of the things that you deal with. I don't know. what it is to stand in your shoes. So yeah, it's easy for me to say. But this is what I do know. I do know that in the book of James, it says, my brothers and sisters, when you have many kinds of troubles, you should be full of joy. Wait, what? You mean when all of this stuff is happening to me, when everything is going wrong, when life is crumbling and falling apart? Yeah, that's right. James writes, you should be full of joy because you know that these troubles will test your faith and this will give you patience. Let your patience show itself perfectly in what you do and then you will be perfect and complete and will have everything you need. The book of John, Jesus tells us himself in chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you may have trouble, you might have trouble. Trouble could possibly come your way. No, in this world, you will have trouble, but be brave because I have overcome the world. See, joy is the source of our hope. Romans 15 and 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. You have not seen Christ, but you still love him. You cannot see him now, but you believe in him. So you are filled with a joy that cannot be explained, a joy full of glory. And you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's why we can have joy when bad things happen. Joy is happiness in spite of our circumstances. It's not dependent on what's going on around here. We have joy because we know that Christ has given us hope. 
because he, he came to this earth and died on a cross and rose again on the third day, we have hope. All the things that we're struggling with, everything that we are dealing with, it's only temporary. But one day, for those of us who believe, we have the hope that when our life on this earth is over, we are going to go and be with him for all of eternity. It reminds me of the words of an old song we used to sing when I was just knee, knee high to a grasshopper, cutting my teeth on the back of a church pew. It says, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And here's the best part. And life is worth the living just because he lives. If for no other reason, we can have joy because today, Jesus is alive. It's the reason Christ was sent to earth in the first place. For you to have joy in spite of your circumstances, knowing that the world is temporary and that for those of us who believe, there's greater in store. That's our message today to a lost and dying world. If you're living as a Christian, but you don't have joy, then you're not living as a Christian. I don't care how bad it is. You can have joy in spite of your circumstances because that's why Jesus came. And that's the thing that sets us apart from the world around us. That's the thing that makes Christians different because if we deal with circumstances the way that the world does, what's the point? What hope do we have to offer them? That's why we've got to enjoy life. What areas of your life do you need to recover your joy? I'm going to close this message as I started at reading John 10.10. 10. A thief, the devil, comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But I, Jesus Christ, came to give life, life in all its fullness. This is your life. Are you who you want to be? You better take advantage of this life right now because it's not a dress rehearsal. Hashtag YOLO. This is your life. Are you who you want to be? Or better yet, this is your life. Are you who God has called you to be? If not, then I encourage you to take this challenge with me. Because for the past 20 some odd minutes, I've really been talking to myself. Because in this coming year, those are the four areas that I'm going to focus on. I'm going to focus on loving more. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on, on making deeper and greater investments in my church, in my family, in my community. I'm going to focus on forgiving more when people have wronged me. And I'm going to enjoy the heck out of this thing while I've got the chance to enjoy it. Because one day, my life is going to be over. Some of you 
or some of your kids or hopefully some of your grandkids are going to be standing around my royal blue Kentucky casket. And I want them to say, he lived life as it should be. Man, he was, he was a man of love. He was a man that made deep, great, impactful investments. He was always quick to forgive. And you could just tell that he loved life and that he enjoyed it. That's who I want to be. I encourage you to do the same. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we draw 2014 to a close, as we venture into this new year, God, that this would be the best year yet for all of us. Lord, that you would give us opportunities to show love to the world around us. Lord, that your love and your light would shine in and through us. God, that you would give us the courage to step up and make greater investments in our church, in our families, and our communities. Lord, and that as we do so, Lord, that we would reap the reward, that we would, we would glean the harvest of the seed that is sown there. God, I pray that when others do us wrong, when things don't go our way. Lord, that we would not just forgive, but that we would be quick to forgive and not hold grudges so that we could live in freedom. And God, most of all, regardless of the circumstances, Lord, that you would help us to enjoy the life that you've given us. Lord, that we wouldn't squander it away. God, that we would even... Enjoy the little things because at the end of our days, we'll look back and realize that they were actually the big things. God, I pray that over these people this morning, Lord, that them and their families, Lord, everyone connected to this church, Lord, that you would help us to live life as it should be lived in this coming year. Lord, the life that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth so that we could have, Lord, life in all of its fullness. And it's in your name we pray these things, in Jesus' name.